Hi all and welcome back to series four of the Huxley Morton podcast. I can't quite believe that we've come this far. So just want to kick off by saying a huge thanks to every single one of you who have supported us so far. And look, if you've enjoyed our previous shows, you are in for a treat this series. Uh, We've got more amazing guests, more remarkable stories and some new topics that are relevant to all of us. So look, if you get value in the interviews that we share, please like and subscribe. It really does help us to grow this platform and continue bringing you more and more incredible stories for now though sit back relax and enjoy the show welcome back to another episode of the huxley morton podcast the show where each week we speak to pharma company owners and industry leaders sharing their stories of personal and professional growth this week i am joined by marty kaiser founder and ceo at iv bio holdings marty welcome to the show quick introduction to, to adam adam how are you doing very well, James. Great to see you again and lovely to meet you, Marty. Likewise. Good to be on the show. Look, Marty, I've given you a very quick snapshot um, of who you are and, and your company there, but I know there's a, a bit more kind of under the bonnet with IV uh, Bio. Look, give us a, a quick overview in your own words as to how things are formulated, how things look from your end and, and what you folks are up to. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so IV Bio Holdings... Um, is a bio platform company that I founded in 2018, where we conceive, create, and develop first-in-class liquid biopsy companies, uh, all focused on early detection and precision health. And so over the last three years, we've now launched three companies out of IVBH, uh, started with liquid lung, moved to hep gene, and then uh, more recently in uh, fourth quarter of 2020, we launched Mamagen. And just very high level, each of the three companies uh, really have three things in common. One is th- that they're all focused on very specific biological processes and systems. Uh, so in the case of liquid lung, uh, the focus there is in everything related to pulmonary disease. Hep gene is focused on everything related to metabolic disease. And mammogen is related to all things women's health. The second thing that they have in common is that they're all based on novel proprietary RNA technologies. So RNA, you know, everybody's now becoming more and more familiar with. Um, but it's something that we made a strategic decision three years ago to build these platforms and build these technologies around. Uh, so I'm excited to see that the world's starting to catch up to that one. Uh, and then, and then finally, uh, is that we're not just focused on diagnostics. Uh, the the comprehensive nature of our scientific platforms across these three entities really unlock different insights and different applications from early detection to uh, you know better and easier more confirmatory diagnostic tools as well as even guiding some therapeutic insights and, and more precise treatment decisions. So we're really covering the broad a broad range of spectrum uh, broad uh, broad spectrum across these different companies, uh, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. It seems that way. And I know that uh, I follow you on, on LinkedIn. I'm sure many others uh, do as well. I know that you are personally the owner of what I class as Startup Sunday now with uh, your weekly posts um, on that. I regularly see one of your CB- CEOs from the group, uh, Liz from Mamagen, who's been on the show herself with, uh, I think it was Monday morning mugshot uh, yeah, on LinkedIn, which I used to tune into every now and then. And I think today was Monday morning media. And she had scouted an amazing award. Give us a quick insight into that before we get into your background. Yeah, and Liz, um, first of all, Liz is my partner. She's my right hand. Uh, she is one of the most special human beings to come into my life, other than my wife and my three daughters. Um, she's a super uh, passionate, enthusiastic, relentless executor. We'd actually brought her on to the team uh, initially to, to lead Mamagen, to be the CEO mm. of Mamagen, which she's, which she's done and done so very effectively. Um, and she was just uh, just named by business uh, worldwide business magazine biotechnology CEO of the year for 2021, and she only took the reins of Mamagen in March of 2021. And so the amount of progress, the amount of attention, uh, the the amount of community building and awareness that she's driven in that short period of time uh, was in not only a very well deserved award, uh, but really led me to to. Uh, pull Liz a bit closer into the studio of the IVBH studio. And just mm. in the fourth quarter of last year, uh, we named her SVP and chief commercial officer of uh, the entire Ivy Bio Holdings platform, uh, because not only is her passion and, and sort of her drive in women's health, and that makes her an amazing leader of Mamagen, 
but her almost 20 year career in the diagnostics industry was always spent almost entirely spent on the commercial side of things. So she brings a tremendous amount of expertise that we're able to leverage across this platform and this entire ecosystem, uh, not just for Mamagen, but all the companies that we create in on the platform. Most definitely. Well, I remember having her on the show and the energy was just ridiculous. And I know that I often speak very loud, even though I'm kind of in my home office and just talking to a computer. Um, And I know that that it was the same for her. And she said that her partner is often like, Liz, just calm down. Look, you're you're just talking to someone. You don't need to shout. But it's because (laughs) she's so passionate. Um, So, Adam, I'm sure you probably checked that one out. But, um, yeah, if you haven't, well worth it. But, um, Marty. I will um, will indeed. I I mean, you mentioned about RNA. If I can just jump in on that one. hmm. I mean, my goodness me, you were at the sweet spot three years ago before, before COVID hit. So, you must be even even happier about that technology being at the forefront of what you're doing. Yeah, without question. I mean, you know, there was a, about a two year period in my life. My initial, so my career was entirely spent on Wall Street prior to getting into bio, and um, and my primary role in throughout my career was raising capital for various investment strategies, and a lot of those were growth equity funds that had large healthcare and biotech and diagnostic exposure. So it was always, you know, very kind of tangentially around the field and the sector. Uh, but my the bio bug really kicked in for me in 2016. And, and that was really kind of right on the other side of all the Theranos nonsense, uh, when some really interesting, incredible uh, technologies were emerging uh, with, with, you know, scientific and clinical data to support them. Uh, things like exact sciences, Cologuard, colorectal screening tests, things like Gardent Health's Gardent 360 liquid biopsy, Foundation Medicine, Verisite, et cetera, where for the first time, things that had always required a tissue-based biopsy, an invasive procedure, uh, for the first time, these technologies were showing that there is the ability to detect with, in many cases, better signal, the same information, the same biological information in blood as it as was in as was always done in tissue. And so I got really fascinated with that. The problem that I found, though, uh, was that what worked in later stage disease in the liquid biopsy space, things like monitoring disease recurrence, um, you know, predicting, uh, you know, course of treatment and treatment selection, et cetera, for advanced disease, those same modalities, circulating tumor DNA, cell-free DNA, were really having a hard time translating in, in a meaningful way in the earlier stages of disease. And, and just, you know, scientifically, I, I questioned that. And I was wondering why a lot of early detection companies were trying to apply those modalities to early detection and trying to figure out why they were having such a hard time. And a big part of that has to do with the necrotic process of a tumor and, and the tumor cells life cycle. And the fact is, when you're looking at tumor DNA, that tumor has to emerge, it has to manifest itself, it has to live, it has to do its dirty work, and then the cells die. And, the, and by the time they're detected in the bloodstream, it's already done a lot of its damage. And by nature, that's typically found in the later stages of disease. And so I stepped back and said, well, how can we get earlier into the process? And instead of looking at the biology of the tumor, uh, we decided to look at the biology of the patient. And RNA is really unique. I mean, just a, an analogy for your audience who may not be familiar with bio and health. Um, you'll think of, the, think of DNA like the blueprint to a Formula One race car. And it tells you what everything is and where it, where it is and what it's supposed to be doing. But RNA is actually telling you how it's performing on the track. It's giving you the real-time information of how things are responding to the presence or absence of a disease. And so that just initially sparked this entire uh, vision of building these companies and building these technologies around uh, the, you know, the RNA side of things and really being able to capture and detect things, not just in early stages, but consistently across all stages. And uh, I'm pleased to say, you know, we've had an, a tremendous amount of uh, success in our R&D studies. We've built, uh, we've discovered and validated and protected uh, a really robust portfolio of novel scientific discoveries up to and including uh, just recently getting our first patent granted for RNA technology and lung cancer detection, which was a great win for us, um, you know, from a business and, and sort of a competitive advantage side of things. But back to your point, the timing of that uh, with, you know, is just phenomenal. I mean, right as the world is starting to recognize and appreciate the utility of RNA, we're now emerging with what has been 
a very strategic decision to amass our IP portfolio directly in that space and, and emerging with some really great technologies in three really large markets. Wow. That's, that's incredible. And just listening to you speak, you speak like a scientist, if I can give you credit for that. I mean, the language you use. I'll take all the credit. I'll take all the credit for that. You can you give don't me sound... I don't know if you were smiling because I was, I was smiling because you were smiling. And sure. you know that I like something when it's explained in simple terms, even if there's a lot of science Absolutely behind it. On point. That is, that's the sweet spot for me is explaining it so that everyone perfect. can understand it. You got it. And, 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 you know, you explained your background in Wall Street, but you don't sound like a financier. You sound like a scientist. And I think you deserve credit for the way in which you explained that to not just James and I, but actually to our audience, because I think the simplification is the thing that really engages audiences very quickly, isn't it? It's important. Well, and I first, I really greatly appreciate it because I am the farthest thing from a scientist about as it gets i you know i have a marketing degree from um from a school from coastal carolina university it's a school in southern in south carolina in the states um and i actually failed high school biology so um i think i think it's a combination of the passion that i that i have for this that sort of sparked my intellectual curiosity and then that curiosity led to just absorbing everything in in a different way um, but I do think it's that outsider's perspective that has really made a big difference um, in being able to kind of look at this field through a different lens from a different angle and, and really try to bring disruption to it. So, um, so I'm proud of the fact that, you know, I'm not quite a scientist, but I do have some really smart scientists in my, in my you know, network and my ecosystem. So they really deserve more of the credit. Interesting stuff. Well, look, just to, to rewind a little bit there, because as Adam's giving you the credit for there, you're speaking like a, a scientist, Marty. You'll take that credit. I know that I would as well, uh, certainly from someone like Adam. But look, I guess your background was was finance, asset management. You were on Wall Street for, for 10 years. Um, where did this idea come from then? And how did, what did your life look like at the time when you were kind of yeah, working in that finance world and deciding to make that jump? Because um, it's often a question that I, um, I'm asked myself. It's a conversation I have with friends and families who are looking to make a change, but rarely people do. So talk us through where the idea of the business came from and that maybe that transition period from moving from what was one walk of life to a completely different area. Yeah. And, and yeah, how, how that went. It's a good question. I think that there's probably two things at, at, at the core of this entire thing for me personally. The first is that I've always been a really creative person. I love to build things and to create things. Uh, growing up, I loved to cartoon and draw cartoons. I actually did the, you know, I was the political cartoonist throughout college. I just loved to draw and, and I was never afraid of a blank sheet of paper. I just, I love to just start not really knowing what it was going to look like, but just see where it turns out. I always liked that a lot. I actually wanted to be uh, a Disney animator when I was growing up. That was always really? my dream as a kid. And so, so there's a creative piece here that, that sort of is inside of me. There's a desire and a burning desire to create. Um, the second thing is that I just love people. And I think that when I was in Wall Street, which can be a really tough place, as you know, as you can imagine, um, I think the thing that really made my career so um, enjoyable and successful was that at every person that I interacted with, I genuinely wanted to find a reason to love them and to, and to like them and to find the best in that person and make it work. And that that's just the way I am. That's just my nature. And so I think, you know, when I stepped back and I started to feel a little bit, um, you know, I would say that my, my world, my, my professional career on Wall Street felt, always felt very much like a means to an end. I felt like I was making a great living, was making great relationships and connections, deep connections with people, uh, building out my network. And I just felt like I wanted to tap into that desire. That's, for, that's the thing, because that I remember when, when you and I first connected, like it became apparent that like you didn't just work on Wall Street and work in finance, but you were bloody good at it as well. Um, like you were one of the like the top people in your firm at the time. So yeah, just give give us an insight into that because like we're not just talking like your average work on you. If I recall, there was you know, you were one of the, the youngest top performers. To give us a quick insight as to just how it was going. 
yeah, I mean, it was going really well. I, I was working hard. Um, nobody had, I was my own, my own hardest boss. Nobody ever, you know, had to push me harder than I would push myself. Mm. Uh, really good at managing the network and the business and the ter- the, the region and the territories that I was covering from an organizational standpoint. Great at, you know, uncovering needs, um, you know, finding, introducing great solutions to, to problems. And some cases in finance, you know, the thing, some of the greatest investment opportunities were always, uh, they were kind of always in the shadows. They weren't the things that you thought, uh, the things that you saw in the headlines. They were some of the things where you had to really look at it from a different angle and look a little bit deeper and, and things that people didn't actually perceive as a problem. But once you, once you, you know, sort of called out that it was a problem and introduced a solution to that, it usually led to some really great things. So for me, all of that was, I mean, all of that translates to entrepreneurship. You've got to self-start. You've got to push yourself harder than any boss. You've got to be creative. You have to find problems and and introduce novel solutions. So all of that, that sort of fed into this, hey, I, I think I can do this. Um, get, built me that, gave me that confidence uh, that I felt that I needed. But to go for it and to actually apply those skill sets into something that was more meaningful and more impactful and something that I could be proud of uh, and that my daughters could be proud of when they grow up, that I went for it and that I tried to actually apply that to make a meaningful difference in people's lives. Then that was wow. really, that was, a, that was it. I mean, that was a two-year journey. And I think, um, you know, sort of sparked with that initial feeling of not feeling like I was, you know, tapping into that purpose aspect of things and doing something meaningful and really, you know, wanting to do that combined with the scientific and technical curiosities that, that were emerging around, you know, some of those liquid biopsy technologies, but then looking at it from a different angle and saying, man, I, I get it. There's a really interesting scientific and technological revolution that's about to, to embark but if you just step back and look at the industry, in our industry, diagnostics and therapeutics, things take seven to 10 years to develop. They cost hundreds of millions and billions of dollars and 80 to 90% of the time they fail. And again, just as a normal human being, as an outsider, you look at that and you say, that can't be the best we can do. It just, there's no way. There's just no way, especially in this age of innovation that we're living in. So it, it was, that was the, the impetus for start for rethinking a lot of the business models and the different processes so that we could advance these technologies and these great scientific discoveries, but do it in a way that's effective and efficient and, um, and quick. And that was really, you know, just a combination of all of those things. And by the time I got comfortable with what that entire thing looked like, uh, was the time where my wife approached me and said, shit or get off the pot. Um, and said, you know, we're either going to do this and go all in and we're going to bet on ourselves to make this happen, or I never want to hear about it again. <laughs> I, was, I was literally just about to ask, yeah, yeah. did this, you know, was it a culmination of thinking about it and teetering over it for six months or was it kind of, was there a specific event that prompted you into making the jump? But it sounds like your, it was your wife putting you on the spot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it was you know, the um, the creative journey was two solid years, and I was still in finance, so it was mornings and evenings and weekends and uh-huh. holidays where I was just immersing myself in all of this research and planning and due diligence. And so at, you know, we got to a point two years later, and I you know we were trying to be smart about saving and investments and sort of preparing for the eventual jump if we decided to make it. And we got to a point where we were fine from that standpoint. And that's when my wife, um, you know, God bless her, was entirely supportive of this. So we're high school sweethearts. Um, We're young, but we've been together as a couple for almost 20 years. Um, And so I think that truly had a lot to do with it, of that trust in one another. Um, And just looking at the risk versus the reward. And yeah, there's a lot of risk, but to be able to positively impact hundreds of millions of lives um, you know, makes the risk seem a, a little inconsequential. I guess it, it, it helps massively, doesn't it, to have your partner on your side. I know that I, I run our business, Hudson Morton, with, with my partner, Lucy, and I wouldn't really want to do it any other way. I guess, like, often you speak to friends, you know, oh, we shouldn't, you know, go into business with your partner and things like this. I was like, no, like, we, we get on, we met at work, you know, for us, yeah. it just, it works. And, like, to have that support whether your wife is working in the business or not is everything. And clearly that has um, put you in good stead. Um, yeah. look, early days then, what, what did things look like back then? Was, was there many staff? How soon did 
because again, I think Ivy Bioholdings, I think like big group, etc. How did things look back in the early days? You know, where you in where you're in your basement, where you're in your uh, your spare room, where you're in the lobby of some hotel. What 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 did things yeah. look like? Uh, I made a conscious decision to to launch not just Ivy Bioholdings, but all the companies to, that come out of Ivy Bioholdings to to launch as virtual as possible from day one. And, and that, you know, that was part of that two-year planning, that virtual aspect of the business was really central to a lot of the business uh, planning, because you guys know, I mean, one of the number one reasons, if not the number one reason, great startups, great ideas, great technologies never make it is because of lack of cash flow and insolvency. And I, I just, I never wanted my companies to be in a position where the, their technologies could not advance because we couldn't pay our rent or we couldn't pay our payroll. And so I really um, wanted to do as much planning on the front end of you know what exactly do we need to do to reach our, our major inflections and milestones? How much money done to as close to the penny as I could possibly estimate are we going to need? And then launching the company without any employees and not putting any of the the money to work until it was secured uh, through investment and then just operating and executing. And so uh, the truth is Ivy Bioholdings operated as just me for a really long time. But but that was also, um, it was by design and it was by design, not just from the business standpoint, but it was by design from the R&D standpoint, because I mentioned those long lead times and those high development costs. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, hiring an army of 100 PhDs to try to look through microscopes to make that first discovery. And, and so I decided to, to replace a lot of that need for people on the front end of the process with data and technology. And we successfully stripped out almost 90, anywhere from 95 to 99% of what, would other, what it would have otherwise cost us based on industry standards. And so that was super important. Um, but I will tell you that as as we transitioned from an R&D phase to a clinical stage of development in 2021 is when this happened, um, we've now really started to evolve that model and started to build more emphasis on the, the people and the partners that we're pulling into our ecosystem. Because from where I sit, data and technology are wonderful tools to reduce time and cost and risk and improve outcomes, um, but it's people that accelerate growth. And now that we're in this clinical stage of development, my primary focus is on getting these technologies into the hands of patients and people and partners are really going to be essential to doing that. So there is a, an evolution of how things have really, um, you know, changed since we started in, in 2018. Cool. Adam, it looks as though you were going to jump in uh, at some point there. We're... I'm, I'm bursting. I'm bursting. I'm bursting on so <laughs> many levels. We have about five or six questions. I'll let you, let you jump in. First things first, Marty, I also married my childhood sweetheart, so you, you absolutely pinged my radar then. Um, she is also my greatest fan, apart from my parents, of course. But I think, I think that knowing your infinite purpose and understanding your infinite purpose and that passion and that drive for what you want to achieve brought me on to my next question, which was really just around the people versus process, because it sounds like you held off bringing in people as long as you possibly could by doing very smart things, that sounds pretty unique, I will say, you know, as, yeah. as someone coming into an industry without necessarily having that understanding under the bonnet of, of how these things work. But you clearly, you have a, a, a very receptive mind where you can challenge process, come up with those solutions that you talked about, but also identify when the time is to then bring in those PhDs and those brilliant scientists that can facilitate this. That was really what was pinging all around my radar as you were describing. I, I was interested in that part as well, Adam, because I think how many times do we have everyone come on and I guess it's kind of the go to subject, isn't it? You know, you get the CEO on and they always talk about surrounding themselves with good people. Great. You know, mm -hmm. once once you're at the stage that you can do that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, Marta, you kind of focus more so on the planning, the process and the strategic direction, much very more different. than a lot of very, our other guests. Different. And, I'm and, just well, wondering. It's, and it's important to, to point here that I always place the most value on the people that did. That's not different. What is different, though, is that I I place more value on people at a different phase of the business than is traditionally done. And that yeah. that really was you know a, a big difference, but also not just 
make, you know, not recognizing that you don't need to hire people full-time to tap into great expertise. And so we've been really strategic about great scientific advisory boards where we don't need to keep them on full-time, um, but they do work diligently for us and they're able to help us make great sense clinically, scientifically, commercially about our, our science and technologies before we need to pull anybody on full-time. So there's sort of a bridge there. It doesn't happen just over. My interest and where I'm probably quite impressed by it and where I find it quite unique, Marty, is the fact that, yeah, clearly you value the people, but you almost valued them so much before they were even your people. And the fact that you were saying, you know, we need to be out of uh, payroll. You don't want to have, almost bring on staff for the sake of it. And then, it to go wrong for, for them you you're not talking thinking about yourself at this point you're yeah. taking on all of the burden single-handed going out and doing the research as adam said you weren't necessarily from this industry background um i'm just wondering where that mentality perhaps has come from whether there's any mentors that you've looked up to over the years that where that because that that in itself we've not out of all of the guests that we've had Nobody else has had that kind of unique mentality where it's still very people focused, but in an entirely different manner. And I, I just find it quite, yeah, quite impressive. Well, that's, that's where where does like that a come light, from? I don't know. That That's more like a lightning round question. I have no, I actually don't, I wouldn't know how to answer that. That's um, worth bottling. If you can find the answer to that, I would bottle that because I think that is, to, to James's point, it's completely unique mm. to all the people that we've interviewed over, over this last year plus is that approach is so different and and the the understanding that you can get value from a scientific advisory board and, and using consultants when you need them again is something very unique to understand within med tech scientific environments generally that i'd i'd love to know where that came from that insight because mm. you, you absolutely nailed it i mean there's no two ways about it you've nailed it yeah, yeah. Nice. i like it yeah, thank you for that. I, and I'll do some some soul searching and try to bottle that one. We, up. We've I, asked you a question there that you have no idea. You hadn't even thought about that yourself, had you, Marty? No, I hadn't thought about that one. <laughs> I, I, I will tell, I think my gut reaction to it would be, um, you know, just pointing back and looking back at history and genealogy. And, I, and um, I'm actually the fifth I'm actually, well, the fifth generation of, of self-employed business owners, entrepreneurs in the Kaiser lineage uh, right. that I came from. And so uh, I was the first to, to actually work for somebody else ever. Nobody had ever worked for a company or for, for an employee, for an employer ever before. So I was the first to do that. And then I think sort of comes back to that calling, um, you know, genetically predisp predisposed to being an entrepreneur and um, and so there's just a lot of weight that that carries of responsibility. And, you know, I'm comfortable carrying that, uh, that weight and that responsibility. So I think, you know, that's a big part of it. But to your point, James, you know, making sure that I'm thinking and respectful of the people too, and, you know, that we're not mm. building things that are just going to fail. I mean, we're, there's always a risk of failure, of course. Um, and that could happen at any moment in time. And look, finance told me one thing, the thing that takes you out is never the thing you saw coming. And, you know, that's consistent in Wall Street. It's consistent in depressions and bubbles bursting. You know, you could have 10 things on the list that you think are the sure thing to do it. It's never mm -hmm. one of those 10. And so there's always a risk, um, but just really trying hard to mitigate that through unique processes and models. Um, it was just always been really important to me. Amazing. No, as I say, it's, it's a unique one for us. And that's why I'm kind of, yeah, a little bit taken back by it. But I, I, that's why I just almost had to ask you where this has perhaps come from. But as you say, it could be something that is just instilled in your genes because that's been passed down through the generations. Um, and that's where, you, where it's kind of come from. I wanted to make the, make the point or ask the question. I mean, the name, you talked about your lineage. Kaiser, is that, is that from Chief? Is that where it comes from? Is, or is it... Is it a denomination of, of chief? Is that where it comes from? It, uh, I think it's German for emperor uh, or yeah. ruler. Um, Leader or ruler or something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. I, well, and the lineage is interesting too because um, I'm Martin James Kaiser III, and, but I have three daughters. There's no fourth coming anytime <laughs> soon. Because it, it's just not there, right? And, um, and, and so that actually was the reason why I named Ivy Bio Holdings Ivy Bio Holdings, because I wanted it to be 
the fourth in the lineage and to be the, the legacy um, that lives on and, and positively impacts, you know, the lives of millions of people in a way that, you know, no single person could do by themselves. And that to me was really important. Um, and it sort of feeds right into, you know, the whole entire thing, really. How cool is that, Adam? That's awesome. Love, it's love, totally love awesome. That. It's a long name, but it was worth it. <laughs> but I think it makes sense. It, it perfectly makes sense. And it fits, actually. It fits with you. And I think everything that you've described thus far. There's a lot to this story already, Martin. Look, I guess that we haven't even got up to kind of present day. So, look, that's how things started. That's where the planning was. That's the processes that you uh, put into place. Yeah. Look, talk us, bring us up to speed then, because as Adam said, you know, you kind of were the early adopters of this new technologies. Um, and, you know, that was, you were ahead of, of, of the game on that side of things. But bring yeah. us up to, I guess, how things are now going, um, the impacts of the virus. Um, yeah, I, I guess, give us a quick snapshot of, of what things look like, you know, today, 2022, uh, IV Bioholdings. Yeah, well, two, 2021 was a transformative year across the entire platform. We obviously, I, I mentioned before, we hired Liz to run Mamagen, mm. uh, who then came in and helped introduce and close our first strategic partnership with a, uh, a strategic lab partner that's helping us transition all of our technologies from R&D phase to a clinical stage of development. Uh, I did mention that we appointed Liz as chief commercial officer, um, and we also brought on a head of clinical development uh, who hails from uh, with John, fame from Johnson and Johnson, Exact Sciences, Verisite, some other great um, you know companies that he's worked for. Mm. And I mentioned that we secured uh, our first patent in lung cancer detection. So today, across uh, the platform, we have three companies. Uh, within those companies, we have eight clinical stage, uh, what I would consider first in class diagnostics. Um, for lung cancer, for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and for breast cancer. So within that portfolio, within that pipeline, there's three diagnostic tests for lung cancer, both uh, pre-imaging uh, early detection, as well as post-imaging confirmatory diagnostics. You know, mm -hmm. something that says, hey, you've got it, go get scanned and go get checked out. Or something that says, hey, there's something that showed up on a on an MRI or or you know a CT, but we can't can't quite tell if it's cancer. Let's measure your blood and, and integrate those two with the imaging and the and the uh, biomarkers to mm. determine whether or not you should go to treatment, you should go into biopsy, or you should just go home and and come back periodically. Uh, so. So there's three technologies there, the, the pre-imaging, the post-imaging, and also typing and subtyping of lung cancer. And as uh, your viewers may or may not know, there's been great advancements in uh, precision treatment um, for lung cancer, but they're very specific to the different histological types and subtypes. There's non-small cell, there's small cell, and then within non-small cell, there's adenocarcinoma and squamous cell and large cell. So really being able to get that figured out earlier can pair people to the right treatment much sooner. So that's a, a really robust um, pipeline for lung cancer. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is a silent epidemic. Um, it's really, really scary stuff. And, and I'll tell you, if you walk into your local bistro or coffee shop uh, and you ask any, you know, 10 people if they've ever heard of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, I'm telling you 10 out of 10 are gonna look at you with cross eyes. Uh, they have, they've never heard of it but it's highly correlated with the rise in type two diabetes and obesity, particularly in the US and other developed nations. And uh, not only is there no way to detect it early, but it's very difficult to, to, uh, to diagnose, especially in the, the more advanced stages. Um, and there's no treatment for the advanced stages. So the advanced stages of that disease are called NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. And, uh, and if you develop NASH, uh, and it's silent, it's asymptomatic and it's progressive. And so um, you don't know you have it. And as you don't know you have it, it's just slowly getting worse. Um, wow. so it's very scary. And if you do advance to NASH and then you progress to fibrosis and, and cirrhosis, uh, the only real course of treatment at that point is a liver, uh, a full liver transplant. And so, yeah, the scariest thing here, uh, not uh, aside from all that, are the sheer numbers, the sheer amount of people that are estimated to be living with this. And it's estimated mm -hmm. in the U.S. 
that 100 million people are living with the disease as a whole, and about 15 to 25 million have already progressed to NASH. And so for us, this is kind of a ticking time bomb situation where you know there's no way to detect it, difficult to diagnose it without a liver biopsy, and there's no way to treat it, and yet nobody even knows what it is. And so it's a massive uphill uh, battle for us. Now we're solving a lot of those problems on the diagnostic side of things um, within our company HepGene, but we're also, it's really important for us to start bringing awareness to the disease um, so that as we're progressing and developing these technologies, people are starting to educate and, and really learn more about it. And so, so that's a big, um, a big program. We have three diagnostic tests at HepGene for that disease. And then we have two in development for breast cancer. Um, pre-imaging, early detection, and post-imaging, similar to what we have in lung. Uh, but commercially, um, we're actually tailoring those technologies, non-invasive tests for breast cancer detection towards women under 40 and women over 55. Uh, because at, at least in the States, women under 40 generally are not eligible for a mammogram every year. Um, and primarily because it's not, it wasn't really designed for that population of women and the accuracy of mammograms isn't really all that reliable in, in younger women. Um, but then, uh, but then also the women over 55 who go in every other year, and we know that breast cancer doesn't wait for your mammogram year to show up. And so we want to I Liz covered a lot of this when she, when she came on, on the show and I was just kind of, again, as kind of a non-scientist, non-science person in general, I was just like baffled by all of this and just, just could not believe the figures that she was throwing yeah. at me, just the unawareness. Well, because, that... because you're looking at it as a human and that's how every single thing starts at IVBH. We just look at it as a normal person and say, okay, there's 42 million women between 18 and 40 in the US who just aren't eligible for screening, or even if they wanted it, it's no better than a coin toss in terms of accuracy. Most people just, A, don't ask that question, and B, don't challenge it. I mean, a lot of times it's just an established standard of care. It's the way it's always been, and that's that. And we just look at it and say, we gotta try. We've gotta try to make it better. Um, and we just feel compelled to do that. And but but innovating around what are otherwise things that people didn't even recognize as a fail point or a problem is sort of really where it all begins for us. Amazing. Martin, you have made so many amazing points there. I don't know where to even start, except to say that I have worked on each one of those areas. I've done lots of work in diabetes. And you talk about that as being a silent killer. Nash is definitely one of those. And it turned up for me in a blood test, funnily enough about a year ago and i what made did? some adaptations i don't know nash nash did. i don't yep. drink I, I don't drink i haven't i haven't had a, a drink for over two years and um it was all dietary related so my kind of um my weaknesses being uh sticky buns i don't know whether that translates in the in the us but you know like i, I love a sticky bun i genuinely yep. love a sticky bun and and i don't have a sweet tooth but I can't pass I can't pass a bakery without buying a sticky bun, and it seems like that that's kind of had a cumulative effect because it's also prevalent in my dad as well. So yeah. you know, there's a you know there's a, a family history <laughs> family history around that, and I'm not particularly obese, but it's like you say, it's it's these silent killers, and and I think what's really interesting is that you've covered your bases as far as you know you you've got three key areas that people are outside of the medical world, not particularly aware that are around and yeah. that they should be aware of. And invariably they may find out about them when it's either too late or fairly progressed. Yeah. And this is the challenge that we have in educating a population, isn't it? In all populations yeah. outside of COVID and the pandemic, it's about having that health awareness, yeah. asking the appropriate questions and just generally every day making people more and more aware about the choices they make, positive choices, both health-wise and everything that they ingest, everything that is around us in, in our environments. And, and I think there is a, a huge part about education, as you say. It's about educating people who are outside the medical fields mm -hmm. to just have more of an awareness of, the, of making good choices. I talk about this to my kids all the time. Yeah. You know, make good choices. Just make good choices. doesn't matter... About what it, whether it's putting in your mouth or whatever you're doing just make good choices yeah. and then that will you know pervade into into various other aspects of your life but i think you have just really really explained that so well because we are all experiencing this whether it's first hand or second hand through parents friends relatives siblings 
-hmm. we are all touching on it right now and and i saw it firsthand particularly in diabetes i did some work in china and you know a population of 1.5 1.7 billion it's the biggest thing that is happening in china right now because they're all aspiring to western diets and yeah. they were never built for a western diet that's right yeah well technically none of us were <laughs> the western diet <laughs> no. is no. not a good diet the, the uh, thing is it, really it just it tastes so good at times though doesn't it that's, <laughs> that's, unfortunately there's the awareness there but then the marketing companies are also out there and yeah some of it well, is look, I, amazing I, here's, <laughs> the thing. here's the thing and and you know, take this for, take this with a grain of salt, but I think we, we also have to approach a lot of these things in a very realistic way. The realistic side of it is that, you know, people know that smoking causes cancer. We've now known this for a really long time and people mm. still smoke, right? So it, there's an element of this, of just recognizing that people also have to live and they want, and they should be free to make choices and they're going to make them one way or the other. And I think the moral obligation that I sort of view in all of this is just at least trying to have tools that that can be taken advantage of in different along different aspects of a disease's life cycle. So for Nash, for example, um, so I was talking to a really, really, really brilliant scientist uh, who's an expert in Nash, and I was talking a little bit about our commercial strategy for these for our diagnostics and. I told her how I'd love to unlock it, the early detection. We call it NAFL. I'd love to unlock a non-invasive test for NAFL because a lot of people just have never even heard of it. And mm. she shut it down. She said, I don't need to look at somebody with a BMI of you know 35 uh, that has type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance to tell you that they probably have NAFL. And I said, you don't need to look at them and tell and you know to figure that out. But the problem is, A, most people have never heard of it. And B, a lot of people think that you know, and if they're diabetic, type two diabetics, most of the time there's there's drugs that help regulate the A1C, like metformin, for example. And I know type two diabetics that take metformin, it keeps the A1C under seven, and they use that as a wonder drug or a wonder pill to continue eating the sticky buns, not realizing, not realizing that it, the diabetes may be under control, but they're progressing towards something really serious in, in with their liver. And so for me, just that moral obligation of being able to educate, have, allow somebody to have a tool that says, oh my gosh, I also have that and I really do need to get this under control, but also recognizing that not everyone's going to do that and having uh, technologies and solutions for the more advanced stages so that we, we're following them all throughout that journey. And hopefully, you know, by the time it gets so bad, maybe they make the choices that they need to make. And if they don't, hopefully we've unlocked better treatments and better solutions to, to solve the problems. And so, you know, I think it's not about just curing a disease, you know, we'd love for that to be the fact, but uh, creating technologies and tools that people can use to say, hey, you know what, I do wanna smoke. I like to smoke, I'm never gonna stop smoking. But if there's a technology out there where, you know, I could take a blood test uh, on an annual basis and it triggers positive, then, you know, hopefully I catch it in stage 1A and I've got a 90 plus percent chance of survival. And it's an empowerment tool and not encouraging bad choices, um, you know, Adam. And, and I try to tell my kids <laughs> the same things, but, you know, people are people. And, and I feel like we still have an obligation to try to, you know, empower them and give them the tools. Um, to, I know, think to that's help. the thing though, it's, it's, it's that innovation, it's that education, it's that adoption of all of the above in order yeah. to try and make things better. And clearly, look, that's always going to be, I guess, a challenge with, with patients and anyone you know, you're trying to get to, to follow these protocols, as it may be. Um, but I guess before we move on to, to what's next uh, for, for yourselves at uh, IV, look, what are the, perhaps the biggest challenges that you have faced as the founder, the CEO along the way is, you know, perhaps someone that, who wasn't necessarily embedded in the industry, um, whether it's been over the recent times or since starting the business, what the, would you say have been the biggest challenges that you face? Like, it sounds like everything's going really well now and it all sounds like a huge success story. But I know from running a business that you must have been slapped around the face a few times by the market and things don't always go as well as what people see. So look, just tell us about some of the, some of those times where you've had to dig in deep and it's it's not been all, yeah, sunshines and, uh, and rainbows. 
Yeah, the biggest challenge uh, from time to time, and I've, I've actually been generally pleased um, by the way that people respond to what we're doing, but, from, but there is a lot of group think. There is a lot of traditional thinking, and, and that's okay too, because you know, things should be challenged and new radically disruptive ideas shouldn't just be accepted overnight. I understand that, mm. um, but, but there is a lot of, you know, this is just the way it's been done. And if you didn't do it that way, you know, there's just some disbelief uh, from time to time. And so, you know, I overcome that just by executing and delivering and, and showing that it can be done um, and then doing it over and over and over and hope, hoping that eventually those standards and those expectations change uh, based on the results. But, yeah. but that's challenging. That's a little demoralizing every now and again. Um, the, the other thing is... Um, I'm, you know, I took a personality test, you know, for a company that I was, um, that I ended up working for this is when I was in finance, they require it before you get the job. And they don't tell you everything that comes up on that test. But the one thing uh, that my, my future manager boss was um, shared with me, he said that I scored off the charts, literally off the charts for sense of urgency. He'd like never seen anything like it before. And that's a blessing and a curse for me. It is, you know, the reason why so much of this is getting done, but it also kills me and gives me a lot of gray, uh, a lot of gray hairs thinking that I want it done five days ago. And, you know, not everybody can move at that same pace. Um, and sometimes when you're dealing with more traditional minded people, that gets even more frustrating for me. So the two mm. kind of go hand in hand um, of just kind of stepping back and saying, man, if you're loved, if you knew that your loved one had breast cancer, I know you've got your internal protocols and you have to discuss things internally and formulate questions. I understand that, you know, there are certain boxes that need to be checked, but if you knew that your wife had breast cancer and you knew that this technology could detect it early and save her life, how much faster might you move? And, and I don't know. So for me, it's about trying to push some of those boundaries uh, and move the field forward at all times. And that's, it's, again, a blessing and a curse. It's stressful for me. Uh, I, I feel you on that one. I'm definitely, and I know that Adam is as well, kind of a, a do it now, do it now type of individual. We are exactly the same in that <laughs> respect, aren't we, James? I mean, and it's, and, it, and, as you and, say, blessing and a curse sums that up, doesn't it? But but in this industry, there are a lot of, there is a lot of inertia, isn't there? Because there's, that as you described, from the outside in, you know, there are many people and many behaviours that reinforce that kind of inertia. In other words, we've always done it this way, we'll always do it this way. And if you want to get from A to Z, then you're going to have to follow these steps. Well, actually, by the sounds of it, you're challenging all of that. And you yeah. should do, because, because I'm the same. I can't bear to see bureaucracy for the sake of bureaucracy yeah. when it doesn't actually get a faster outcome. And, and COVID is a case in point, isn't it? You know, as you, as you earlier made the point, mm. medications, drugs normally take eight to 10 years to get to the market. And here we are with, with, with vaccines in our arms within... Under, under 18 months of, yep. of identifying the issue. So things can change. And what we need is more people like you challenging that change and, and, and making sure that people are challenged every day to the decisions that they're making and the processes that they claim to be there for, you know, for, for good reason. Because actually, many times I'm working alongside people who just say exactly what you said. I don't accept that either, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think if you're used to something taking 10 years, then I can see where you get used to an internal review process taking four months because mm. in the grand scheme of 10 yeah. years, it's I, actually not that long. <laughs> but honestly, that sort yeah. of BS kills right? me. I, honestly, I hate it. Anytime I hear a client or someone say to me, oh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I'm just uh, yeah, honestly, I just I'm, I'm going mad inside. Yeah, yeah. If there's um, a rule, break it. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, but if it could be better, it's already broken. Like, what? Why? Why can't you see that side of things? So, um, yeah, look, that gets me all the all the time. And, and as entrepreneurs, we can all see that. All three of us can see that. We're all working alongside people in larger organisations where that isn't the case, and mm -hmm. we're clearly all asking those same questions of those organisations because. That's the only way that change will happen is That's by right. challenging the status quo and not accepting the status quo as it stands.
That's right. I think so. And I think that, look, that leads us nicely on, Marty, to what's, what's next then? What is the next do it now activity for you, for Ivy, for Mamagen, for all of the, those group companies as we head into 2022? Um, yeah. What, what sort of what's in store for, for you uh, and the market in general? Where, where do you see things going? Well, this has been a uh, this has been a great forum for me to share a lot of the work that we've done, um, and I appreciate that you feel as though that you know kind of has been a success, um, and it, and it's worked right. The model has worked up to this point. The reality is that there's a lot of work to do, and and so you know I am you know, I'm not necessarily beating my chest before I'm out of the cage here. We're really proud of what, how we've, you know, the point at which we're at, but there's a lot that needs to be done and we're going to do that. And so my first priority right now is focused on executing on our clinical development roadmap. We're actually transitioning, translating our science into an actual test that's happening right now as we speak. Uh, we will be uh, generating new clinical data across a phase one and a phase two study uh, or multiple phase one and phase two studies for lung, for liver, for breast all throughout this year. Uh, mm -hmm. We've been establishing and securing our clinical partners that can help us with samples and, and help us with all the clinical data generation and all the data readouts and publication strategy and everything that comes along uh, with that clinical development path. Uh, and so my top priority, my highest priority is executing on the clinical development roadmap because that's the direction we need. We need to get through that so that we can uh, commercialize the technologies and get them in the hands of patients. So that's first. I think beyond that, um, there's just no shortage of things that we can do. And you know, I think having capital and the right partners that see that much bigger and broader vision. And, and I'd say in, in you know, very short term, uh, expanding our product pipeline within pulmonary disease and metabolic disease and women's health, that's sort of an easy next step. But longer term, you know, I think as, as patients become, as people, I, I don't even like to call them patients, as people become more aware, more educated, they become more empowered to control and to manage their own health and wellness and fitness data. They become a much more integral part of uh, the clinical trial process and, and you know, sort of how we identify and, and help treat people uh, throughout the, really the entire spectrum of care. You know, I talked about early detection to treatment, but uh, Adam, you made a great point about prevention. And I think there's a century's worth of innovation that we can unlock as people become more integrated into the R&D process. So spending a lot of time thinking and talking about how that integrates into the IVBH platform, um, you know, from a data standpoint. And I just you know, I think that that could unlock uh, a plethora of things all the way up to and including, you know, novel new treatments, um, you know, treatments that are more tolerable and, and, you know, more personalized than what has ever been developed today. So um, just building and scaling operationally and expanding our usage and our utilization of data and technologies, I think unlocks, you know, unlimited potential. Wow. Just, just follow on from that. So, so if I understand you correctly, you're going into early phase. Have you got funding for early phase? And do you have like a, a plan A, B, and C? What if, what if, what if? You know, in case it doesn't reap positive outcomes in your first healthy volunteer study. Yeah. Where do you go yeah. with that? Have you got some options? Yep. So uh, up to this point, we've done uh, seed rounds. Uh, we've raised seed capital direct to each of the entities, to liquid lung, to hep gene, to mammogen, and that worked brilliantly. Um, but now uh, we're actually in the market cap raising capital at the IVBH level for the first time ever. And that is mm -hmm. you know, very, very strategically by design because uh, what we're able to do is tap into the capital at the IVBH level, um, or I should put it differently, all three companies can tap into capital at the IVBH level so that they can execute on those clinical milestones in parallel with one another in a really efficient, a capital efficient way. And so instead of going out and trying to raise money at each of the three companies to fund that next stage of growth, doing it all through the IVBH platform uh, is a real, it's a much more efficient way where, you know, no company is getting left behind 
uh, on timelines. They all move forward together. And so you know, that's that's something that we're in the market on uh, on the market with right now. That round is going really, really well for us. Uh, but always welcome you know investors that want to join the ride. Well, dare I say, you you know, you're thinking you're thinking like a, a Wall Street guy in that respect. You're getting all your ducks in a row financially, but also on the flip side of it, you've got your scientific plan, you've got your clinical development plan in place. I think it sounds like a, you know, you've really thought this one. They, and they're all happening at the same time. So that's uh, that's the bit that I was going to touch on. Just sorry, say, look, it sounds like your plans amazing. for the year ahead are busy, busy, busy. And it is just as well that you scored off the charts with that um, sense of urgency because you're going to be putting that into play, I can assure yeah. you. Um, yeah. So it'll be exciting to, to see how everything pans out. I know that you and I will certainly keep in touch and um, we'll be following uh, how everything goes. Um, but look, before we let you jump off, uh, Marty, to enjoy the rest of your day stateside, um, look, we always like to end up the show with um, a quick fire questions round. Um, just to get, a, yeah, a little insight as to how you fire back to, I guess, the everyday questions that often Lightning CEOs... You're already, you already stumped me once today, so let, hopefully you don't stump me again. Yeah, here we go. Right. Well, look, what, have... I'll, I'll kick us off then. Well, look, what is the, uh, the one piece of advice that you would perhaps give to your younger self? Hmm. Um... Uh, well, I think about the advice I give to my children, and you know, I guess that's the same thing. Uh, two things, um, two pieces of advice. I, I tell my girls, uh, life's short, move fast, but not too fast. And I, I always make it a point to, to say, but not too fast, um, because you don't want to miss, uh, miss out on the beauty of life, right? Um, and, and I think the second piece of advice, I actually had a conversation about, uh, this conversation with my daughter over the weekend. It's kind of the same, it's within the same vein. Mm. And that is, um, I grew up outside of New York city, uh, in a, a suburb of Connecticut called Fairfield. And so I was always in and out of the city and, and throughout my, my wall street career. So, uh, I was there a lot too. And the, the streets are, are insane when you're walking the sidewalks of New York city, you know, maybe pre pandemic at least, um, there's just so many people. It's just a sea of people walking in opposite directions on the same side of the sidewalk. And, um, and I found that the trick to actually walking down the sidewalk with all those people and not bumping into anybody was to keep your sights set really far in the distance. You look over people's head towards a building or towards a landmark of where you're headed and you will not walk into anybody. It's bizarre. The moment that you move your sights forward and you lock eyes with somebody, you either bump into them or you end up in that kind of awkward moment where you don't know which way to go. And I, I found that was every time. And so the trick there is keep your sights set on the, on the long-term goal. This is the advice that I gave my daughter. So, and, and you won't make any mistakes. You won't bump into anybody. The problem with that though, is that you may just bump into the love of your life. You may just bump into the next job offer, the next business partner, the next opportunity. And so, yeah, it's important to keep your sights set in the long term and on the goal, but it's okay to take some risks, to make some mistakes and to bump into things because that's kind of, again, the beauty of, of this journey of life. And so finding harmony between those is really, I think, the most special thing, uh, uh, you know, advice that I would want somebody to give to me when I was a kid, um, you know, and, 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 you know, I think everybody should do that. And I think that translates in life and business. They're, they're sort of one and the same. Oh, well, we certainly did not stump you there, did we? I think that's probably the, the most impressive answer that I've ever had on, on that Well, that's question. helped. I just had this conversation yesterday. It was a, probably a little too deep for a nine-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I like that. And the metaphor, perfect. I mean, for me, if I'm sure I was on the um, New York um, sidewalk at five foot two, I wouldn't be looking over anyone, but I get it. And, uh, it makes sense. I, I like Maybe it a lot. The legs. Yeah, Adam, <laughs> over over to you. Look, he's impressed me with that one. Marty, you, you're you're just you're just pinging all my radar today. I mean, you, you're clearly a romantic at heart. I think that that's oh, coming across that. loud and clear. Yeah. Um. I also I also go with that move fast mentality, but but I kind of reframe that as fail fast. In other words, don't chuck all your effort into something that you think is is not good enough. If you know it's yeah. not good enough, at that point, walk away, fail yeah. fast rip it up start all over again and and it sounds like you have that very very focused mentality around that and yeah, that really that really resonates very strongly with me so um 
on 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 that theme so we we obviously like people to listen to our podcast are there podcasts or books that you're listening to at the podcast that you're listening to at the moment or books that you're reading on your bedside that you'd like to share with our listeners and our viewers? Uh, yeah, All In is a great podcast. Um, uh, David Sachs is one of the members. Uh, there's a group of gentlemen there that, that it's just a great dialogue. It's a great conversation, a lot of tech sort of uh, themes throughout, but, but mostly business. Um, the Matthew Zachary Out of Patience podcast, Matthew Zachary uh, founded stupidcancer.org. He's a 25-year survivor of, of a of a fatal brain tumor, a tumor that was supposed to kill him. Uh, and 25 years later, here he is. He's a great patient advocate. He's a, he really does a good job challenging a lot of the status quo in healthcare and bringing, um, you know, just distilling things to the more human side of it, the things that matter, the, all right, why are we accepting this? He does a good job with that. Um, the MF CEO project by Andy Frisella. Uh, Andy's an awesome guy. If, if he doesn't get you pumped up, uh, to go out and and win and kill every day. Uh, I don't know who will. So Andy's a uh, runs a really great show there too. Uh, outside of that, I you know I don't have a whole lot of extra time, um, and and I really just try to prioritize the people that I connect with and the the, di the direct conversations and the real life experience. Um, you know, and try to learn as much from that as I can from anything else. So try to spend a lot of time with elderly people too. Um, there's just so much wisdom that comes from, from life experience. So, um, so those are, that's where I get If my... I could give you a virtual hug, I'd like to hug you right now, Marty. I'm yeah, a hugger, yeah. right? And I want to <laughs> hug you because yeah. you can, you can join my team as well. You can yeah. be in my tribe, my hug tribe, because awesome. you're, you're such a lovely guy. Honestly, you come across so so genuinely and so so humble in, in in the in the pursuit of what you're doing and and i just as, as i say I, I think there's there's so much that resonates with you know with james and i as well particularly because you know you're preaching to the choir here you absolutely are but i think what what's so what's so refreshing is to hear it and see that success in in you and in the manner in which you perform your everyday life and that's just so uplifting to here thank you yeah there's a lot of mutual respect here you guys I, you know i know i'm preaching to the choir on a lot of this and uh the the ways that you've been able to innovate and to pivot and to take those risks and and put them into action that's you know very very impressive cool well look, i think adam's nailed it there i mean you are a people person you're now at that point where you've got your eight trials running things are uh, kind of hotting up as a, as a business you're going to be growing um so look, what, I guess, for the business leader in you, what do you value most? What are the top three qualities that you value most when building your teams, your businesses? Uh, from a team standpoint, execution. Um, you know, there's got to be a, a, an appreciation for creativity, um, but there's got to be execution. If you're going to say it, do it. And, you know, that's, the, that's just the most important rule for us. Um, but team-wise, too, diversity is is really central to a lot of what makes Ivy Bio Holdings work, and uh, and I mean diversity in all of its forms, uh, but particularly in idea and thought and experience and and perspective. Mm -hmm. um, you know, coming at this from different angles is really what makes what makes it magical. I mean, Liz and I, we both are relentless executors. Uh, we're both, you know, we both share the passion and enthusiasm for people and for patients, all that's similar. Um, but Liz is a medicinal chemist. I mean, she's an organic chemist, which, I, and again, someone who failed high school biology, I didn't even <laughs> know how quirky and crazy and, and scientifically whacked you have to be to be a chemist <laughs> because, but, but apparently it's like the hardest science. Right. And so, you know, she spent her whole career on that side. And I spent, you know, my childhood wanting to be a Disney animator. And there's just so much, you know, that complements, you know, there's such a complementary nature there mm. that works really well. And the more people that we pull into IVBH, we really like to see that they bring something totally different uh, to the to the team and to the equation, sharing a lot of the mission and the purpose. Obviously, we've got to be aligned on that, the core values. But the diversity piece has has been a really great win for us. Amazing stuff. Amazing. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And just, I, I guess, yeah, having that diversity gives you balance in a way. <laughs> totally, it definitely balances it out. 
it cool. sounds like you have you have a good balance there i say outside of work family is important to you people people continue to be important to you and um is, is there anything else that that is particularly a favorite of yours outside of work outside of your family and you know spending quality time with the people that matter to you most yeah, I recently started skateboarding a lot with uh, with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> we we're fortunate we uh, we live in Southern California, and um, we were you know my wife and I are both from Connecticut, as I mentioned, um, and we spent three years uh, in Connecticut from 2018 to 2000 uh, to last year to June of last year. Um, but then we moved back in June of 2021, and we're just pinching ourselves. So we're really trying to immerse ourselves in the outdoor lifestyle. And we went skateboarding yesterday. It was 76 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny. And my daughter said, Dad, I'm just so happy that it's spring. And I just laughed. <laughs> I said, it's actually the depths of winter. We're just, you know, we're just really blessed. Um, so, yeah, we're just trying to be, get more into the outdoor stuff. Not a whole lot of time for it, but on weekends, I try to at least prioritize that when I can. Nice. That is so such a California answer, that isn't it, Adam? Look at my lovely view. This is my nearest beach, right? This is this is this is, this is what's left of Brighton Pier. It burned yeah. down a few years ago, and that's where I go to when I need to go to water. So uh, I know exactly where you're coming from. It's not quite 76 degrees here, by the way, right now. Yeah. Not quite, not quite. Well, no, I love that. Keep keeping active, Marty, um, getting in the outdoors. And if you're enjoying it with your kids as well, kind of that's a massive thumbs up from, from me. Well, look, I guess normally I end up the, the quick fire round with a final question about number one golden rule for life and business. But I'm going to have to say you've completed that already with your, your first answer. So again, another first for us on the, on the podcast <laughs> is that you've, you've answered five questions in, in four. So again, <laughs> must be that sense of urgency that you didn't even know about. Um, or I just talk too much. Yeah, well, either way, it's a win. Um, so look, Marty, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show with us uh, today. For anyone that wants to, to reach out to you, uh, I know that you and I connected on, on LinkedIn. Is that perhaps the best place to, to get you? What would your advice be for anyone interested in the business, um, in you in general, investors? What's the best place uh, to get you? Yeah, LinkedIn, personally, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, just Marty Kaiser is, uh, is the LinkedIn name. Um, if, uh, if there's partners, clinical partners, investors, um, you know, people that want to just contribute any sort of expertise or knowledge or relationships um, or just uh, you know, a personal story that we can latch onto that, that just keeps you know, our focus in the right place. Um, feel free to reach out to info at ivbh.studio. Uh, that's I as in Igloo, V as in Victor, B as in Bravo, H as in Hotel. Uh, dot studio or our website www.ivbh.studio and you could submit uh, anything through one of the contact uh, us forms there but yeah we welcome people um, you know in all shapes and sizes and backgrounds and skill sets um, at any point in our journey so yeah we would love to uh, to communicate with anybody who's interested fantastic well look, you've been an absolute star coming on the, on the show thanks very much again and enjoy the rest of your day uh, over in California enjoy that weather Thank you. We will. Yeah, the pleasure's been mine. Thank you, guys. Thanks, man.